the Apostle Paul made an important statement in the New Testament about what ultimately will last. Have you ever thought about what ultimately will last? He said it in his letter to the Corinthians in chapter 3, beginning at verse 11, and I will read it. He said this, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be, will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through the fire. We can learn from these verses that there is work, there are things that we do that are going to fall into one of two categories. And, and Paul calls it work. And we learn from these verses that there is work that produces combustible stuff. There's stuff that we do that will not last, that will not endure into eternity, and that stuff is going to be tested and it's going to burn. It's going to burn away. Wood, hay, and straw will burn up in the fire of testing. But then Paul mentions this other stuff that is the type of stuff that will not burn up in the fire. When it is tested by the fire, it will remain. He says, if anyone's work is gold, silver, and precious stones, those things are not combustible. They will make it through the fire. So we can learn through these verses that gold, silver, and precious stones, whatever work it is that produces that is the stuff that's going to last on into eternity. And so this is important information. Uh, if, if, uh, if, if we care anything about that which will last into eternity, it's good to know what is it that, what is, it, what is the work that will produce gold, silver, and precious stones. Well, we have learned from our study in the Who is Jesus series about specific materials as they are used in the building of the tabernacle. Gold signifies the deity, right? We talked about gold uh, being that which signified the deity of Christ in the Ark of the Covenant and in other elements of the tabernacle. And silver. We haven't talked about silver, but it is, a, it is a metal that actually signifies redemption or salvation. So you have gold, deity, God. You have silver. It's, it's the metal of, of redemption, of salvation. And then this other group that Paul mentions in, in his letter there are these precious stones. Precious stones. And there are stones that are valuable and precious. Amen? I mean, there's stones that, 
you probably kicked over some of them as you came in tonight in the parking lot or in the gravel driveway over here, just stones, just kick them around, you know, hopefully you don't uh, trip over them or whatever. But there are stones that are valuable and precious. To determine what a stone is and what its value is, is determined in a field of study called gemology. Gemology is the science dealing with natural and artificial gemstone materials. And it is considered a geoscience and a branch of mineralogy. Some jewelers are academically trained gemologists and are qualified to identify and evaluate gems. So if they're trained in gemology, they can look at a stone and you can determine if it is a precious stone. You can determine what it is, what the cut is, what the clarity, what all that stuff, you know, that you learn about when you're going to go buy an engagement ring or something like that, right? You learn about diamonds and what makes them valuable. So this is what a gemologist does. Now we've moved into a section of this series where we are looking at specifically the priesthood of the Old Testament that was established along with the wilderness tabernacle. And we're also looking at the clothes, the robes, really the garments that the priests would wear, and specifically the high priest. I mean, we're going to look at the, priest, the priestly garments of the rank-and-file uh, priesthood, but then specifically we're looking, concentrating on the garments of the, of the high priest, what the high priest would wear. And last week we suggested this, that the fashion of the high priest and of the priesthood made a statement. We talked about it making a fashion statement. And tonight we look at a piece of the high priest's garments that was fashioned with precious stones set into it. And so we're going to look at not only what the statement is in terms of the fashion statement, but we're going to look at what it is that those stones reveal in terms of the character of God, um, his, his, who he is, his character, his action towards us, and the glory of God. And so we're going to look at these things. So this particular piece of the, of the garmentry of the high priest that we're going to look at tonight is called the breastplate of righteousness. You will re, uh, read it in the text that might be referred to as the breastplate of judgment. You might have breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate and the precious stones, the gems in the, precious, in the, in the uh, breastplate, reveal things to us about God, again, about his character, and about us. So if you're taking notes, I have a, a few points that we're going to roll through, and we're going to look at this passage in Exodus 28. First tonight is this. The breastplate reveals Jesus' identity. The breastplate of righteousness of the high priest in the Old Testament reveals the, the identity of Jesus. Let's look at it in Exodus 28. Pick it up, verse 15. It says this. You shall make the breastplate of judgment artistically woven according to the workmanship of the ephod. You shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. You shall make it. And it shall be doubled into a square. A span shall be its length and a span shall be its width. And you shall put settings of stones in it, four rows of stones. The first row shall be a sardius, a topaz, and an emerald. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be a turquoise, 
a sapphire, and a diamond. The third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And they shall be set in gold settings. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel, twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name, and they shall be according to the twelve tribes. And you shall make chains of the breastplate at the end, like braided cords of pure gold, and you shall make two rings of gold of the breastplate, and put the two rings on the two ends of the breastplate. And then you shall put the two braided chains of gold into two rings, which are on the ends of the breastplate, and the other two ends of the two braided chains you shall fasten to the two settings and put on the shoulder straps of the ephod in the front. And you shall make two rings of gold and put them on the two ends of the breastplate on the edge of it, which is on the inner side of the ephod, and two other rings of gold you shall make and put them on the two shoulder straps underneath the ephod towards its front, right at the seam above the intricately woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastplate by means of its rings to the rings of the ephod using a blue cord so that it does so that it is above the intricately woven band of the ephod and so that the breastplate does not come loose from the ephod. Let's stop there. The breastplate reveals the identity of Jesus. You say, well, how? <laughs> Look at all that. We just read all this about a, all this stuff. I mean, did you, did you stay with me as I read through that and gold and rings and chains and, and all kinds of precious stones and settings and, and, a, and a piece of cloth that was a square piece of cloth that was actually doubled over? We'll get to that next week, okay? So we're going to get to that why it was doubled over because it was made so that it would have a pocket inside of it. And so we'll actually, that we're not going to ta tackle that tonight. We're going to save that for next week. But anyway, so you have all this stuff. The breastplate is, is again, it was a, is, is a square piece of material and it had 12 precious stones that were positioned in four rows of three. And these 12 stones were to represent each of the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob, specifically the 12 tribes of Israel, one stone for each tribe. Now, Revelation chapter 4. One of the things when you look at the book of Revelation, um, it's an interesting book and a lot of people stay away from it and they, they don't understand it or they don't try to understand it. And one of the reasons why they, people struggle to understand it is because you have to realize that it is a very Old Testament book. It's like an end times book. It's like it tells us what's happening at the end, but it's, it's of the 404 verses, I think there are like over 800 references to the Old Testament. So if you don't know your Old Testament, it's not going to ring any bells for you when you're reading your book of Revelation, okay? And when you come to Revelation chapter 4, it contains a great picture of heaven's throne room. It's the scene where John is taken up into heaven and he's, he's there in the throne room. And, and uh, it's an awesome, awesome seat, uh, scene. We have God seated on his throne in heaven, which is, which is the headquarters of the universe of the world, where, where, everything is being, where everything is under control. Amen? Praise the Lord. Things might be getting out of control in your life or in the world. 
or in certain pockets of the world, but it's under control. God's got all things under control. Amen? And the Apostle John records everything for us, beginning with this, Revelation 4.2. And I'll have it up on the screen behind me. It says this, And behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. This is the very first thing that John sees when he gets up to heaven. And I find that interesting because of all the things that you could say, you know, people like, well, what's heaven going to be like? What, what, you know, what's it going to be like? The first thing that, that John notices is there's a throne and there's someone sitting on it. And I, I, I think for now, that may be all we really need to know. Amen. It's going to be revealed to us. We're going to see it. We're going to be there, Christian. You're going to be there. But for now, just rest assured, there's a throne and there's someone seated on it and he's got all the things under control. Now, in heaven, God is on the throne. And, and, and what John describes for us is the person who sat on the throne. This is very interesting. His, it says his appearance was like a jasper stone and a stardius stone. Look at it, Revelation 4, 3. I'll have it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. He says this. It's the very next verse. He who sat there was like a, a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. You say, what? what? This is wild. What? The person that sat on the throne is now being said to be like a jasper and a sardius stone? What, what is this all about? Back to the breastplate. You have the breastplate, which was the breastplate of righteousness, and you had the 12 stones that were placed in, in order, and they were, we'll get to the engraving on the stones later, but they were engraved with the names of each son of Israel, each son of Jacob, and really those were the tribes of Israel. And so you had the names of that particular son engraved upon that particular stone, and they were put on the breastplate in birth order. In birth order. What's interesting is that you have here the representation of the person who's sitting on the throne in heaven is, is likened unto the first stone and the last stone. Very interesting, right? First and last. First and last. The Bible uh, talks about God being the first and the last, right? It talks about God being the alpha and the omega in Isaiah 44, there's a little section there where that deals with it, and I've actually, uh, well, I won't get into that. But anyways, you can uh, trace that forward to the book of Revelation where this language of first and last, Alpha and Omega, reappears. And it is specifically tied to the person of Christ in chapter 1 and actually chapter 2. And it, here when you get to chapter 4, John sees heaven, he sees the throne, and he sees the person sitting on it and is likened unto the first stone and the last stone. They're the exact stones of the, of the breastplate of righteousness of the high priest. This is very interesting. So who is the firstborn son of Jacob? Well, he's sitting right here on the front row. Amen. Reuben, Reuben. No, that's not him, but, but, but this is his name, right? Reuben was the first son. And then you have the last son, whose name was Benjamin. Benjamin. So you have Reuben and Benjamin. If you look at both of those names, 
they have part of the, both of those names are, are similar, right? They both have Ben in them. Reuben is, behold, a son. She had, she had, she had a boy, and she said, oh, look, behold, a son. <laughs> Let's call him Reuben, right? And that was his name. And then when Benjamin was born by Rachel, of course, Reuben was born of Leah, but Benjamin was born of Rachel, and his name was called Benjamin, and that means the son of my right hand. So the person on the throne of heaven is likened to the jasper and the sardius, behold a son, the son of my right hand. Now, who does that sound like? <laughs> Amen. The, the breastplate identifies the identity of Jesus, and not only that, but who is sitting on the throne in heaven. Amen? It's an incredible, incredible thing. Reuben, behold the son. Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So who is it that is sitting on the throne of heaven? It's Jesus himself. And Jesus is our high priest. Amen? He's the one with those stones. He's the one with that breastplate. He's the one with those gemstones um, on, that, that he's bearing. Uh, and, and so, and he's the one sitting on the throne. Amen? So we see all that from this, you know, you're piecing this together from what you see here in Exodus and then what you're seeing through the rest of the Bible. And then when you get to Revelation, it, it comes full circle. So the breastplate reveals the identity of Jesus. Who is he? He's the son of God. He's the son of my right hand. He's the one sitting on the throne of heaven. Amen? Secondly tonight, the breastplate reveals your worth. Your worth. Now we're looking at these 12 stones. These 12 stones represented, each stone represented one of the tribes, one of the sons, and those sons were, became the tribes, right? So each stone represented the 12, or the, each stone represented a tribe of the people of Israel. And all 12 of them together would, would, would be all the people, right? Except for the, except for the Levites, right? And they were the ones that were the, the priesthood. And so there's, there's a picture of, of the people of God in that. So you had the 12 stones, you had all of the, the people of God, right? And so, you, so each tribe was a precious stone. And what this tells me is that the people of God are precious stones. Amen? The people of God. Who are the precious stones? What is the type of work that will last into eternity? It's the work of people. Because you can't take anything else with you, folks. Right? We're not going to be able to take our iPhone 10 or our iPhone 20 or or iPhone, you know, whatever it is, or our Samsung, or whatever it is we've got, our $1,000 um, monitor stand, you know, that Apple just introduced. Yeah, the stand for the monitor, 
is $1,000, right? Did you see this at the WWDC? And, uh, and so, but we're not going to be able to take it with us. You know, there the used to be a saying that you never would see, um, you would never see, uh, you know, a hearse, you know, carrying a tra- you know, with a trailer behind, but then someone found one. On the, you know, someone, <laughs> I just saw this on the internet. Someone found a, like a hearse with pulling a trailer and said, oh, oh no, what are we going to do? But I don't care if you've got a hearse pulling a bunch of tra- stuff in a trailer, guess what? You're not taking it with you. Right. And this is what the Egyptians had it wrong, right? If you look back to the Egyptians and their burial practices of the pharaohs, they buried them with all this stuff. In fact, they buried them with living people so, as, so that they would have servants in the afterlife. Now, you get that, that like, okay, you got people, but hey, these people still got to live. Here, you can't take anything. We can't take anything with us. What can we take into eternity? We can, ta- we can bring other people with us. And those are precious stones. Those are precious gemstones. Those are, that's the work that's going to make it through. And that's why it's so important. And it's a, such a burden for anyone who truly understands this. Uh, you know, a couple, couple different ways. Parents with your children. You understand the burden that we have of literally not wanting any, not caring about anything. I just wanted to... I just want to see you in heaven. Amen? I just want to see you there. I'm, rem- I'm reminded of, um, of a Keith Green song, uh, a song to my parents. He wrote this song after he got saved. He was, he was uh, this ultra-talented young man who used to play in like clubs and stuff in Hollywood. And uh, if you want to read his story, it's written in the book by his, um, by his uh, wife that... That, uh, that remained after he was actually killed in a, car, in a plane wreck, plane crash. That's not a plane wreck, it's a plane crash, right? It's a car wreck. Anyways, I don't know. Um, so anyways, he died in a plane crash, and, uh, and he used to play in, the, in these um, Hollywood clubs, and then he got saved. And he got, like, radically saved. I mean, he got it. He was like, and then he looked at, it, looked at everyone around him, and he's like, well, wait a second. They don't know Jesus. And what I'm learning in the Bible and what I'm learning in all these Bible studies I'm going to and all these preachers are telling me, if these people don't know Jesus, then they're not going to go to heaven and I'm not going to see him anymore and therefore I'm really concerned about that. Amen? And so he wrote this song, Song to My Parents, and look it up on iTunes or, or um, YouTube or where, wherever. This song, I was, I was reading the book, No Compromise, and at the same time, and then I remember I had this moment where I was listening to this song. And so I was deep into the story of Keith Green about how he's getting radically saved and he's coming out um, from just, just, a, just, a, just a radically secular environment that he was in and, uh, and giving his life to Jesus and then just wanting his mom and dad to be saved. And so he writes this song, Song to My Parents. I only just want to see you there. I just want to see you there. I know you don't understand. I know you write it off as just, you know, you're our, I'm your son, but I just want to see you there, right? And that's the, the precious stones are 
are, are the people because that, those are the only things that are making it through into eternity. Amen? Jesus told a couple parables that kind of illustrate this point. In, in uh, his parables, you know, Jesus taught stories, he taught parables that, that basically they were stories that illustrated deep spiritual truths. And in Matthew chapter 13, there's two parables that Jesus tells, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. And both of these parables basically make this point that we're making with the gemstones representing the people of God and the people that are close to his heart. Amen? I want to read them for you. One's found in Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 44. I'll actually throw it on the screen behind me. It says this, again, this is Jesus talking, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys the field. And then picking up verse 45, next one, he says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who then, he, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so basically, you see a, a very similar uh, truth found in both of these parables. And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of go back to the first one, the hidden treasure. I, when, growing up, I, I grew up in the church, and I, and I grew up hearing this parable taught. And, and in, my particular, in the particular setting that I grew up in, I, I heard this taught a particular way, a particular interpretation of this. And the interpretation that I always heard of this was this. It was, man, if we just realized how valuable the kingdom of heaven was, we'd be like this man who found the, the kingdom and we would give everything to, to, to have the kingdom. We just need to realize how valuable, how awesome that God is in his kingdom. And if we truly did, we'd just give everything. Nothing would stop us from, from gaining that kingdom. Until much later in life, I came and I heard somebody bring out a different interpretation. When I heard it, I was literally like, well, no, 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 that's it. <laughs> that's it. You see, and, and, and I've come to a, a conclusion now that I think that you can, the, that, that interpretation, I'm, I'm not going to just completely throw it under the carpet and sweep it off into the trash bin or whatever. I think, you know, yeah, there, there, there's a certain truth to that. Is the kingdom of God valuable? And if we realized how valuable it was, would we give anything that would we allow nothing to stop us or prevent us from coming into the kingdom and being a part of that? No, that's, that's certainly 100% true, not taking anything away from that. But let me suggest this, that the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. In the parables, the field is, is the world. When Jesus taught other parables, the, the field is the world. And so there's a treasure in the field that's the world. So there's a treasure in the world. And a particular man found this treasure and he hid it and for joy over it, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys the field so that he can have what? The treasure that's in the field. 
And what is it? What is the interpretation? It is that we're the treasure in the field. And it's Jesus who finds us. It's Jesus who is that hound of heaven that comes after us. It's, the, it's Jesus who got down off of his throne, who did not consider the equality with Rob something to be held onto and grasped, but he came down and put on flesh and became a servant. And he walked in this world and walked in this field and he found a treasure in it and he gave up everything so that he could buy the field so that he could own the treasure that was in the field. Now, when you get into the book of Revelation, I, won't, I don't have time to get into all this tonight. But there is a principle that when, he, when Jesus Christ laid down his life and shed his blood on the cross and paid the price of redemption for whosoever that would come and come under the covering of that atonement. And he paid the price for that, but he also paid the price simultaneously for the, for the earth. That he bought the earth. In fact, Revelation chapter 5 is literally about if we were in chapter 4 in Revelation earlier when John saw the throne room, if you go to the next chapter, it's okay, well, I'm in the throne room, this is wonderful, this is wonderful, and then it goes terribly sad. It's wonderful, and then it goes sad. Why? Because there's this seven-sealed scroll, and there's nobody, they can't find anybody that's worthy that actually has the authority that, that, that can unseal this scroll until... Jesus presents himself. And it's like, oh, great. <laughs> great. We have somebody. We found the person that is actually able to unseal the seven-sealed scroll. Don't have time to get into it, but that seven-sealed scroll is literally the title deed to the earth. And the seven seals that are unsealed in the book of Revelation are when he unseals each of those seals. There's seals and there's bowls and there's vials and all that. But the unraveling of those seals is the beginning of God literally taking back what is rightfully his and dispossessing those who have not bowed the knee to him. Okay? This heavy-duty stuff, but this is, this, this, this is, this is, this is, trust me, this is, this is great stuff. <laughs> but that's what it is. So who is it that is the treasure? It's you and I. We're the treasure. We're the treasure. We're the pearl of great price. We're the treasure. We're the gemstones on the breastplate. We're the gemstones on the breastplate. When we choose Jesus, we become a part of his kingdom on earth, and at that point we are included on the engraved stones above his heart. Amen? You are a gem to God. The breastplate reveals who you are, Christian. The breastplate reveals your worth. That God, we sing it all the time. He didn't want heaven without us. Right? We sing this in our songs. He didn't want heaven without us, but he came down to seek and to save us. You're a gem to God. He loves you. Now, we've had a movie recently an Avenger movie. Uh, and in the movies, there's a particular character that has been trying to collect these particular stones. <laughs> okay? He's got a glove. He went somewhere to some planet, and he had some big glove made. And on this glove are these little settings where these 
stones go, right? They call them the infinity stones. Thanos. Thanos has got his glove with his infinity stones. And then if you've seen the, the, the new one, how many have seen it? How many have not seen it? How many continue not to care? <laughs> how many just saw it and don't care? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> it's funny because actually Rob brought this up to me before the service. But anyways, it was in the notes. Okay, so the infinity stones. So Thanos has his infinity stones. Well, God has his own stones. The Lord Jesus has his own stones. And he's got you right here in the setting. He's got you right where he wants you. Set above his heart. Right? The breastplate. You're in the breastplate, which is set above his heart, upon his heart. Why? Because he didn't want heaven without you. He didn't want heaven without you. You. Amen? Amen. Now, the high priest, now that's some good stuff when you can, when you can weave Thanos and the Infinity Stones into the wilderness tabernacle. Tweet that out there and go for it, okay? All these super cool preachers. Where was I? Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the high priest, he wore these gems during his ministry. He would get all suited up in all these garments, right? And he would put this breastplate on. And remember, the high priest is, our high priest is Jesus. So, so you're, you're, where are you? You're, you're right there on his heart. He literally bears you on his heart. Amen? Amen? So God's people are the 12 stones over God's heart. Now in total, now if you, we read through the whole section, right? There's, then it was said that there was these other two stones, right? So that would be 14 stones. You say, wait a second, where's these other two stones? Well, if you were here last week, you remember that we talked about the, those two other stones. We talked about the ephod. Remember, they, they, they didn't have an iPod, but they had an ephod in the wilderness. And, and on this ephod, which was basically like this really sophisticated, nice, manly apron, okay? And it was made, and the breastplate would actually be connected to the ephod. And on the ephod, on the straps, were these settings where two onyx stones were to be placed on the shoulder straps of the ephod, and on, the eph on those stones would be six names on each stone engraved on each one. And so you had each name of the, the tribes of Israel on each stone, one on each stone, and then all, all, uh, six on one and six on the other of the two onyx stones on the shoulder straps of the ephod. And so what this, what, it, what this shows us is a, a beautiful picture of where Jesus has us, Christian, where he has you tonight. You, you come in here and you wonder what's going on in my life and where's God and all of it, and I really need to know where God is in this situation. Well, let me just tell you where you are, Christian. You're in the breastplate over his heart, and you're a 
on, attached to the ephod on his shoulders. Two things. You're close to his heart. He loves you with everything. He was the one in the parable that gave everything to buy the field, to own the treasure within the land. Amen? But not only does he love you, he doesn't, he's not one of these people that just says, I love you, and then that's it. He bears the burden. He bears the weight. You are on his shoulders. He's bearing the, 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 the weight of your burden. And if you'll just rest in his authority, which is the message that we learned last week, resting in the authority of Christ, if you'll realize that you're resting on the shoulders and the authority of Christ, and that he loves you fully and completely and gave everything for you on the cross of Calvary, you realize where you are, Christian. And this is such an important point. He loves his people. He loves his children. He said it. And in, then he did it. John says this. This is how we know what love is that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is how we know what love is. He didn't just say, oh, well, I love you. Oh, well, I love you. Christian, oh, I love you. No, no, no. He says it and he does it. Amen? It's a perfect, perfect picture. Moving on. The breastplate reveals Jesus' love. Remember we learned about the ephod. In the in the in the, the the stones, we just we're talking about this. In verse twenty one, it tells us that the names of Israel's tribes were engraved on the stones. Let's go back to that. Verse twenty one. And the stones shall have the names of the sons of Israel twelve according to their names, like the engravings of a signet, each one with its own name. They shall be according to the 12 tribes. What is this verse saying? It's saying that I want you to have an engraver engrave the, their name on this stone. Now, I want you to think about this. If you ever... Now, we used to get stuff engraved. I don't know that this is much of a thing anymore, but people used to go out and buy gifts and things and get them engraved, right? Right? We used to have this store at the mall called Things Remembered, right? People would get you little silver cups for special occasions. I don't know. I don't know what that was all about. But anyways, they engraved it. You can still get stuff engraved. People still get stuff engraved. If you're going to take something that you buy and then you're going to engrave it, now you're going to think about that. Now people get, people get tattoos and things, you know, and they... And, and there's a whole running meme and joke about like, you know, guys who go out there and put, you know, some girl's name on their arm or something and then they break up and they're yeah. like, oh, and then they try to, they go in and have the tattoo, you know, molded and, you know, made into some other configuration because, you know, they're not with Julie anymore. They got to, you know, get rid of that name somehow. And Jesus had your name engraved upon the palm of his hand. 
It says this in Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That's the way the New King James reads. In the NIV, it says this. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. I have engraved you. So think about that. Not only are you over his heart and on his shoulders resting in his authority and being born on his heart, but you're literally engraved on the palms of his hands. You're, 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 you're right there, and he's not going to let you go. Nothing can separate us, amen, from the love of Christ. And lastly, the breastplate reveals the glory of God. When the high priest, now I want you to focus in with me, because so we've been through a lot of stuff. We've been from all over the place, many different books. When the high priest would go into the tabernacle to minister. He would get suited up in all of this whole thing. You had the ephod, the breastplate, was the blue robe. We'll get into this later. The robe had bells and pomegranates. There was a robe that had bells and pomegranates. Just hold on for that. That's going to be real fun. So anyways, he would go in, he'd be all suited up. Now remember the the... the inside of the tent had no natural light. The only light inside the, tab, inside the tent, inside the tabernacle, was the, the light of the golden candlestick. So when the, when the high priest would go in and he would have the breastplate on, you would have the light on the golden candlestick, the light emanating from the golden candlestick would reflect and reflect, refract off of the the precious stones on the breastplate. And this shows us the glory of God. Because the Bible talks about God being light, right? In, in the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16, he says this, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. What is he talking about? He's talking about God. God in just the absolute, just God. He says he dwells in unapproachable light. Like, I, I don't know what that is, but it sounds powerful and, and scary and, 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 you know, unapproachable light, you know? I mean, you can't bust up in there you know, like Bill and Ted, you know, busting up into the throne. No, no, it's unapproachable light. It dwells in unapproachable light. So this, this seems to say something to me about the glory of God. There's the glory of God and, there, and, and God is light. And, and it, it, it also shows us, not only does it show us the glory of God and the light of God, but it shows us the state that man was created in. We've talked about this before. Man, in his perfection, in that perfect state when man was created, was created covered with the light and the glory of God. And that's why when they sinned and they fell, there was this instantaneous like, oh my goodness, we're naked. And let's get, grab some fig leaves and cover up. And that's why then God said, no, the fig leaves aren't going to do. He skinned, he made that first sacrifice, which was the first 
element of the atonement, first picture of the atonement, there in, in uh, Genesis 3, right? So it was God himself who covered them. There was, this, there was a sacrifice, there was a blood sacrifice of that animal, and then they were covered. But from that moment forward, there was that essence, there was that sense that they were, were missing the glory that they had in the perfect state. So man in his perfection was created, covered in the light and glory of God. And so what this is a picture of is actually not only because we become, Jesus makes us who he is. He makes us who he is. He's the son of God, we become sons. He's these things, he, make, he makes us that. He, he, he's absolutely holy, he makes us holy. We get brought back from that fallen state. We get brought back from that state of where we, we don't have the glory and we are once again covered with the light of God. We're once again, we're born into the family of God. We're born from above. We're born by the power of God. We come into, we are once again, we are covered with the light of God. Man was, was created. People go out and they want to get blinged up, right? Man was created in bling. Amen? We were created in the glory and the light of God. We get that back when we come into the kingdom. Amen. And this is why Paul declares us, well, Jesus said it first in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And then Paul says to the Thessalonians, he says, you, he says, Christian, you are light. You are light. And so what Jesus is, he makes us that. Amen? So Paul declares, Christian, you are light. And so, wow, what a powerful, powerful picture that we all see from the breastplate. Now, you see the glory of God, the light of God, the man perfected and now redeemed, brought back to that state. And it had to happen through Jesus Christ. It all happens through our high priest. And so when you look to Jesus, when you look to our high priest, you look at everything that you need and everything where you need to be, amen, which is over his heart, on his shoulders, and he loves you so much. And that's, we see that all in the breastplate of righteousness.